If you've ever seen The Wizard of Oz, you'll remember Dorothy's phrase as she tapped her ruby slippers together, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. All of us have a place that is home for us. Maybe it's not even where we currently live, but you, you just know that whenever you go back there, there's, there's sounds, there's smells, there's people, there's noises, there's, there's senses that remind us this, this is home. When you've been gone on a road trip and all of a sudden your car st starts hitting potholes again, you know you're back in Michigan. You're home. I remember when uh, Elise and I lived overseas for a year doing missions work and we came back uh, to the States. It just everything around us, you know, just being able, just hearing predominantly English speakers once again for the first time in a year uh, was, was just music to our ears. It, it, it felt like, like home. It reminded us of where we were from. In the passage today, Paul reminds us of our true home. He reminds us of our heavenly citizenship in Jesus Christ. And we read about that today in this passage. And as, as, I've, as I've studied Philippians with you, and now we're, we're well into chapter 3 and we'll make our way into chapter 4 here this morning, I found myself um, over and over again being reminded as I, as I progress through the book, like, oh yeah, that passage is in here too. And oh yeah, I forgot, Paul's got these beautiful words for us as well. It, like over and over again, you, you just forget how, how much beauty is in this book. There's no lulls or low spots. There's not any dull, dry stretches in this book. And once again, we come ac across some, some beautiful words. And we're just going to kind of focus on 20, 21, and then the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, here this morning. Paul is going to contrast two mindsets. The one we looked at two weeks ago with this group in verses 18 and 19, we said they may be the false teachers that he, he brings up, uh, he calls dogs back at the beginning of the chapter. They may be a completely different group. I, I'm not sure exactly, but they it seems like they were a part of the body and then have left. And their, 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 their chief characteristic was that they were occupied, preoccupied with earthly things, their, their physical indulgences. And Paul here is saying that that's, as citizens of heaven, we're, we have a different mindset. We have a different mentality. So if you're taking notes here this morning, I, I, I believe we just left things blank in the bulletin, but if you want to write down these uh, main points, the first thing that we want to point out is that we need to know our true homeland. Know our true homeland. Verse 20 says, our citizenship is in heaven. Your passport says heaven on it. Your driver's license. It's not actually Michigan. It says heaven. And, and Paul here was writing to people who were from the city of Philippi, obviously. And, and Philippi was a Roman colony. It was sort of a little Rome. Those who would come and visit Philippi that had been to Rome before, they would, they would say, this is like a little Rome. It, it, it bore so many resemblances that people would say, oh, this looks familiar to me. And Paul says, listen, even though it looks like you live in Rome, your identity, your citizenship, your true home is elsewhere. We saw this back at the end of chapter 1, if you remember this. Uh, chapter 1, verse 27. 
when he says just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, based upon your true homeland, live as citizens whose lives should line up with their, their heavenly calling. Paul is telling these Philippians that the church is a little colony of the kingdom of heaven. When you're in the presence of God's people, their values, their lives, their hearts should point those around us to heaven. One of the greatest problems for the church in the 21st century is worldliness. It'd be interesting if we filled out a survey with a coworker from work who, who's unchurched, not a follower of Christ, and we talked about the things that we did with our time and our money and, and how we, we spent the things that God gives us, our hobbies, what we do with our leisure time. It would be interesting to see how much crossover there is. We're called to have different values than the world. And I'm not saying that that's easy. We live between two worlds. We live in this world, but we are citizens of another I'm not saying that, that that's just simple and straightforward and all of our decisions should be, should be easy. There's a lot of gray area. Sometimes we wonder, should I do this or should I go there? Is this something that God, it's okay for a follower of Christ to be doing? God longs for us to have the predominant, the, the, the predominant citizenship, the, the, the thing that people see be tied into our heavenly homeland. He wants people to see that while we live here, we are from another world. We've all met people where we wonder if maybe they were from outer space. Some of you got married and began to question, did I, did I marry an alien? Who is this person? I'm not sure if this is the same person I was dating and I was engaged to. But the reality is, as, as followers of Christ, we are aliens. We're called to be different. We don't want to be like that church in Revelation. Where the Apostle John writes in Revelation 3, he says, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. Because, but because you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm going to vomit you out of, out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I need nothing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. The temptation in a, in a culture as affluent as North America is to be self-reliant. And that self-reliance can, can cause us to, to slip into the way that the world does things, their values. And the Apostle Paul wants us to remember this morning our true homeland, where we're really from. The second thing that he points out is that your future is incredibly bright. Your future is incredibly bright. Just sit with me a second with verses 20 and 21. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. He says here that we are eagerly waiting for something. 
This is that childlike Christmas morning anticipation. That's what he's talking about. That, that you've been saving your money and you're going to get a brand new bicycle. That, that anticipation. And he says, we are eagerly awaiting this. What's really neat is that God gives us permission to crave the return of Jesus Christ. This isn't just some pie-in-the-sky notion or something that should be reserved for our, our final years on this planet. God gives us permission to long to see Jesus face to face. Do you remember how Revelation ends? Revelation 22, John says, He who testifies about these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. That's actually a command in the, in the Greek. We're allowed to say, come, Jesus. Come quickly. We're allowed to eagerly anticipate his return. And we eagerly anticipate it, Paul says, in part because he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. The Bible says that he is going to transform us. There's a lot of things that we don't know about our future heavenly bodies. But we do know this. The New Testament is pretty clear that we're not going to be disembodied spirits floating around. Nor, just as a side note, are we going to be playing the harp. We do not get wings. There's no Bible verse that says that. But we do know this. We do know that we will be given a new body that is, he says, like unto Christ's resurrected body. So again, there's a lot of things that we don't know, but we do read about the resurrected Christ. And we know that he, he looked like a human being. So no floating, levitating things, no see-through transparencies, not a ghost, an apparition. He had, a, he had a physical body, which reminds us, by the way, that our bodies are a good thing. That our bodies are given to us by God, and, and they're for his glory, and he is actually going to restore and redeem them. We're going to keep them. We're, we're just going to have the new, healed, totally perfect versions of them. I love what 1 John 3, 2 says. Dear friends, we are God's children now. But what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. You see, not only will we be given new bodies, but in some way we're going to become like Christ. He's not saying we become God. I don't think he's saying that at all. But he's, he's saying that in some way our bodies are going to be renewed and we're going to become like Jesus himself. That's good news. Especially when we wake up and the bones are grinding and cracking and the aches and pains are very real and maybe don't go away. It's good news when we physically can't do the things that we always used to do and we long to be able to do them. It's good news for bodies that have been racked with medical conditions that are slowly eating away at our life. This is good news. Jesus said, I will restore we can long for his return and that day when our bodies will be renewed. 
It says he's going to do this by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. He's going to tap into the power that, with which he's sustaining the entire universe. And he's going to say, I'm going to take a little bit of that power and I'm going to use it to renew and restore and give you a new resurrected body. That's pretty cool. If you've been around a while, chances are you've heard the phrase, he or she is so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. I don't know if you've heard that before. I, I'm not really sure who first uttered that phrase. I remember hearing it as a kid, even in the church. But I, I'll just tell you this, that's not in the Bible. True heavenly mindedness should lead us to our earthly best. It doesn't, if, if we're being biblically heavenly minded, reflecting on the return of Jesus Christ, it will not cause us to withdraw from our responsibilities in this culture to be disengaged, it will actually cause us to move towards people. It will cause us to be more engaged because we're going to have this confidence in the victory of Christ because we know that he's transforming our bodies and we want, we want to spread that hope, that good news of life in Christ. No, there's no such thing as being too heavenly minded. Colossians chapter 3, I think I put it up here. Colossians chapter 3 points to this, brings these two together. Heavenly mindedness and holy living while we're here on earth. It says, so if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So there could be a chance of reading that and you think, okay, I'm just supposed to detach myself from the world. I'm not here anymore. I'm just going to pretend like nobody's, nobody's walking by me, nobody's around me. I'm just going to always be looking up into the heavens. But no, notice, look at the effects of this. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your, your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. And then he goes on to say, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against one another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Do you see the connection Paul makes in that passage? He says, look to Christ. Set your mind on things above. And when you do that, you should turn from sin and, and move towards others in holiness and in love. It's the very heavenly-minded person who begins to live as he or she has been called. C.S. Lewis has said this, If you read history, you will find that Christians, the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of other, the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at the earth, and you will get neither. My brothers and sisters, we're called to be heavenly minded, and that heavenly mindedness should transform our life right here and right now. By being reminded of our true homeland, it allows us to stay focused on what we've been called to do. We don't get distracted with worldliness. We don't get caught up in the world's values because we're running a race towards a finish line, a heavenly finish line. The third thing I wanted to make note here, uh, make note of, is that you're deeply loved. 
I just I couldn't pass by this verse, chapter 4, verse 1, without pointing this out. If you have your, your Bibles open, just, just look at Paul's words here. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, my dear friends. Listen to Paul's language that he uses here. He calls them twice in this verse. The, in the Greek, it's the agapetos, the beloved ones. My translation is translated as dearly loved. And at the end of the verse, it's dear friends. Same, same word. He used it back in chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends. Paul, Paul loves this word. And as he refers to the, the Christians there in Philippi, he honestly can call them his treasured ones, his beloved ones, his dear friends. He goes on to say, if that's not enough, he goes on to say, my longed for, my longed for ones. It's the only place this term's used in the New Testament. It means someone who is earnestly desired or longed for. Someone that you, you just can't wait to see. Maybe being, maybe you can get a little bit of an idea of this when I, I just, I, I can't help but think of the story of the prodigal son. That father waiting for his return. Looking off in the distance for this son to come home. Maybe some of you have been separated from a loved one for a period of time. And, and you just anticipated their return. I was on the phone with a friend this week. And I could tell he was driving somewhere and he was on his way somewhere. Um, and we, we, were, we were talking for 30, 40 minutes. I didn't realize that he was on the way to pick up his wife at the airport while we were talking. And so I'm almost in mid-sentence. And, and he said, oh, I got to go. There's Carla. It's been good talking to you. We'll see you. It was like we, we were talking and it was going, but he was ready to see his wife. He longed to be reunited with his wife. Th that's the picture that Paul creates for us here. He calls the Philippians his longed for ones. And then if that's not enough, if those two terms aren't enough, he says, you're my joy and crown. <laughs> Paul's talked, to, talked about joy a lot in this passage, in this book. And here he says, you believers, you, my dear friends, you're my joy. Paul's joy is, is in part tied up into his relationship with the Philippians. He loves them, and they bring him delight. My joy and my crown, he celebrates them. And I just, I just sat with this verse a little bit this week. And I know that Paul is talking to the believers there. That's the immediate context here. But as I was reading this text, I, I also could hear the, the voice of God. Speaking to me as his child. I don't think I'm out of line to draw application to that because it's very clear that God speaks of his children the same way Paul was speaking to his spiritual children in the faith. 
God says things to us like, you are, you are welcomed in the beloved. He calls us his sons and daughters. The Bible teaches this doctrine of adoption. That, that God, in saving us, in that whole process, also has made us a part of his family. In fact, it's, the Bible teaches he's even united us spiritually to Christ. He loves us that much. And I wonder today if, if you can imagine a God who calls you his beloved one. For some of us, that's a little bit uncomfortable. The, the book of Zephaniah even uses this imagery of God singing over us. You ever read this? Look at Zephaniah 3.17. That, that God sings over his people. And you can't hear that, especially if you're a parent, without imagining a newborn child cradled in your arms. Maybe you're trying to get them to sleep and singing them a lullaby. And the affection that is poured into that song as your love is just splashing out of you onto that child. Just as you're overcome with affection and love for that precious little one. And I wonder if you could imagine today a heavenly father that looks at you that way. For some of us, that's really hard. For some of us, we've never been able to envision that. We have a hard time receiving love. But just imagine today a heavenly father who's cradling you in his arms, singing over you today. A heavenly father who has drawn you close. And no matter what your day was like yesterday, what your week was like this week, no matter how far you feel from him, no matter how much you have blown it, in the sins they may have been egregious. We may hear them this morning and gasp. Probably all could share stories this week that would make other people gasp. Probably should do that more often to realize that it's, it's not, we're not all weird. Like we all sin and we need the grace of Jesus. Can you imagine him looking at you with that affection? Knowing what you've done, knowing what you've gone through, knowing what's happened to you. And a father whose, whose tenderness never abates. You see, even us, I, mean, I, I remember, maybe I'm the only one like this. I remember those times rocking that baby and singing to that baby, and that baby not going to sleep, and I wanted to go to sleep. And sometimes that tenderness in my heart would fade a little bit, and it's like, just go to sleep already, kid. Come on. But God's heart's never like that. He never gets tired of us being near. Kurt Thompson has said that everyone is born into this world looking for someone to look at them with love and affection. And some of us may not have gotten that much from our earthly parents, from those who've been in our lives. 
But I want you to know that you have a heavenly father who looks at you every single day with love and affection. There's never disdain. If you're, if, if you're his child, if you've confessed your sins and received Jesus Christ through faith, then there's never a day when he looks on you with scorn. There's never a day when he looks on you with disdain. There's never a day where he looks on you with regret at having made you his son or daughter. I want you to know that this morning. That you are God's dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters. I love what Henry, Henry Nouwen says. He's, every time... You listen with great attentiveness to the voice that calls you the beloved. You will discover within yourself a desire to hear that voice longer and more deeply. It's like discovering a well in the desert. Once you've touched wet ground, you want to dig deeper. Eugene Peterson translates Philippians 4.1 this way. My dear, dear friends. I love you so much. I do want the very best for you. You make me feel such joy. Fill me with such pride. What a wonderful thing. To know your Heavenly Father feels that way about you. But in order to make it even more specific to the context, this is Paul talking to them. I don't believe Paul was using hyperbole. I don't believe Paul was lying to them. I believe Paul truly felt this way about his brothers and sisters there in Philippi. I wonder this morning what it would do to an individual, to a church, to a body, to a community, if we spoke to one another this way. How would it transform you this morning if someone came up and put their hand on your shoulder and says, I just want you to know how happy you make me. You bring me so much joy. You are a treasure to me. It might freak us out the first time or two. What if this became normal? What if speaking to each other with this kind of affection became normal? What would it do to a church if we spoke to one another this way? My dear, dear friends, I love you so much. I do want the very best for you. You make me feel such joy and fill me with such pride. Hmm. Final thing as we close that Paul builds up to is, is the command here in the text that all these things should inform and fill up so that, according to four, chapter 4, verse 1, we can stand firm. In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. He's saying, stay on track. Stay steady in God. We talked about this last week. As we run our race, may we be boldly confident that, that, that we serve a king who is victorious because our citizenship is in heaven, because we're eagerly awaiting a savior, and because we are deeply loved 
by a God who will never let us go, we are equipped then to stand firm. Brothers and sisters, today I want to encourage you not to waver. Each of these truths we've talked about this morning provide a supporting foundation and strength for the command of the passage. Remain firmly committed to Jesus Christ. We don't simply remain committed or to use his previous metaphor a few verses prior, run our race by sheer grit and will and determination. I know I've said that, but I just need to remind us. We stay the course because we are anchored in the grace of God. Because we come daily to the cross of Jesus Christ, saying, I'm a sinner, but I have a great Savior. And I need your grace today for whatever it is as you battle temptation, as you fight kids who don't want to get up and go to school or get dressed in the morning, as you deal with a, with a, a difficult and stubborn boss at work, as you battle physical and health issues, as you maybe are rejected and, and maligned for your faith, as you face difficult decisions in life, we don't stay the course by gritting our teeth. We stay the course by first and foremost remaining anchored in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That he has died for us. That he is resurrected again. That his life is in us. Enabling us to keep going. To keep standing. To stay faithful. We can only do that as we stay anchored in his love as we live in the presence of a God who sings over us. May we be reminded that our citizenship is in heaven, and may we stand firm until the end. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we delight in knowing that the victory has been secured by Jesus Christ. We have great hope knowing that our true home is in your presence, oh God. And when we feel out of sorts, when we feel like our values don't align with the world, may we rejoice and be reminded that we're on the right track. Heavenly Father, we need your wisdom to discern how to live faithfully as, as, as dual citizens. As those who presently have our feet upon planet earth but as those whose hearts and home are with you show us what it looks like to live our lives out amongst this world but not adopting their values and as your spirit reveals where we may start to dip our toes into the the waters of worldliness. May your spirit graciously bring conviction and pull us back when our love for this world begins to increase. Just convict us and remind us of our true home. Heavenly Father, would you anchor us in your outrageous love for us? 
May today we believe and be reminded of a God who draws us near and looks at us with love and affection and calls us his beloved ones. And may that translate in the way that we treat one another. That you would increase our love for each other so that we can truly say, you bring me great joy. You are a treasure to me. You are a blessing to me. May those words not feel strange upon our lips, but may we exhort and encourage with deep affection. Heavenly Father, in all of this, enable us to stand firm. For those of us who this week feel weak, who, who have struggled, maybe even feel like quitting, their spirits be renewed by your Holy Spirit. And may they find a new strength and a fresh delight in you. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I just want to remind you, if any of you need prayer for any reason, there'll be a few of us up here who would love to do so. God bless.